strategy and design is a very successful pairing. Uncaged Wisdom, Cheetah Digital's podcast for modern marketing. Hannah and Jody, thank you very much for, for joining us today on this special Cheetah Digital PK crossover spectacular on loyalty and human-centric loyalty, which we're going to get to in a minute. But before we start, could you just introduce yourself to our audience? Thanks, Julian. So excited to be here today. Jody Rausch, the Senior Practice Director of the Integrated Loyalty Solutions team at PK, which basically means that I work with our teams to make sure that we are kind of implementing all of our thought leadership across our client work, helping work on business development efforts, and continuing to push forward our loyalty thinking as part of this team, making sure that we are, we're absorbing and consuming the latest trends and, and reflecting that not only in our own POV, but in the work that we do for our clients. And Hannah. Sure. Thanks, Julian. Um, my name is Hannah Sherwood. I am an associate director of design on the PK team. Um, our design team at PK covers a whole gamut of, of design-related activities. Um, my work in particular is focused on the intersection of design and loyalty. So how do we create uh, really, really great user experiences um, that help enhance the, the great loyalty programs that we're designing with our clients? Hannah, who is your favorite Buffy character and why? Love this question. So uh, my favorite Buffy character has got to be Anya. Uh, just because she tells it like it is. You know, she she comes in, in in season three and she just kind of throws a wrench in the whole Scooby gang and is just blunt and and wonderful. I know you can laugh, but I have witnessed a millennium of treachery and oppression from the males of the species, and I have nothing but contempt for the whole libidinous lot of them. Then why are you talking to me? I don't have a date for the prom. Jody, you can also share with us your favorite uh, Buffy character, or if you'd prefer another character from any other series that just springs to your mind um, now that we've gone down the popular culture canon. I'm I'm a little embarrassed to say in front of the two of you that I. I have not seen a lot of Buffy. I know who she is, and I think I've maybe seen an episode or two, but the closest I can come is the fact that Hannah mentioned um, the Scooby gang, and I immediately went to Thelma and, and, and Scooby. That answer even ties in with Hannah's because Thelma kind of told it like it was, and she kind of cracked the whip and kept everyone in shape. So maybe we're actually picking similar characters just in radically different decades. The first documented case of the curse of Crystal Cove is from 1630, when a garrison of Spanish conquistadors mysteriously vanished from the harbor. Oh, that is so scary. Where did they go? What part of the word mystery didn't you understand? Another quick one I'm just going to throw at you, Jody, to start. Is, do you remember a loyalty program um, that caught your imagination early doors? And either something you were, you were maybe a part of or you just joined, but was there some sort of loyalty light bulb that you're like, that's pretty cool? That's a really great question. Um, when I was growing up, my family moved around a lot. We had family all over the country, and I had the distinct pleasure of getting to know air travel early in my days. And as I was growing up in Atlanta, clearly it was Delta. So I was probably most aware of Delta just as a, as a consumer. 
from an early age, but I think more from a professional standpoint, I had the opportunity to intern at one of the field offices of what at the time was Holiday Inn Worldwide, which is now IHG, Intercontinental Hotels. Um, and I worked in their field marketing office in, in DC while I was in college. And you know everything from getting the various hotels to agree to participate because it's a franchise organization to um, helping with other marketing initiatives that were more regionally focused. I had the opportunity after school to actually go and work for IHG, what is now IHG. And that is where I really started falling in love with loyalty and the understanding of that this is more than just a marketing program. There is so much psychology behind it. It really is, you know, human behavioral studies of how do you get a, a consumer, a traveler to choose your hotel brand versus another hotel brand? It's more than just choice. And it's more than just, you know, what do your rooms look like? It's, it's that experience. And that has kind of led me in, in many ways throughout my career. Nordstrom. I think the their loyalty program itself, um, obviously, but I, uh, you know, am a, a native Seattle resident. And uh, if we want to talk about emotional loyalty, I could talk to you about Nordstrom all day. Um, they were the, the only place that I could buy shoes in high school because I have giant feet. And they were the only retailer at the site at the time that carried my size. Um, and then they're actually, you know, the after I graduated from college, kind of got my first job, I, I signed up for their credit card and, and their loyalty program. And it was, you know, felt like kind of their very first like adult decision that I made. And I've been a, a long time uh, Nordstrom mm -hmm. customer and, and kind of loyalty aficionado with them since. Joni, I guess we've covered a little bit already just in naturally talking about a couple of good examples in, in the loyalty space, but I was wondering if you could kick us off just with um, uh, your own interpretation of, of a human-centric approach to, to loyalty. They're all words we're familiar with, and, and they, it makes sense as a concept. But what does that actually mean from, from your perspective when you're talking to, you know, your, your clients and your colleagues? That's another great question. Um, you know, I think one of the things that we talk about a lot internally is how loyalty has really shifted and transformed over the last couple of decades. And so when, when we think about where we were uh, 10, 15 years ago, it was the, the brands were really dictating how a, a customer or a member was going to engage with the brand, how they were going to be rewarded, how we were going to use their data, how we were going to communicate with them. And through new technology, uh, shifting landscape in, in privacy laws, um, new technology that comes onto the, onto the stage, um, there are new priorities and there's a shift in, in how loyalty is being not only perceived, but now how it's being delivered. And a lot of that is being driven primarily from the member's perspective. So today members are dictating and, and brands are having to react to members are saying, this is how I want you to use my data. This is the data that I want you to have. Um, this is how I want to engage with you. This is how I want to consume information from you, whether it be by channel or the types of information. Um, they're also really having the opportunity to say how they want to be rewarded and what they want their experience with the brand to be. So when we think about human-centered design, that's really the core of it all, is that if, if the member and the consumer are dictating 
how they want to engage with us when we develop our, our loyalty programs, our loyalty strategies, we have to start with them at the core. And we can't start with ourselves, the brand at the core, because then we're gonna miss the entire point of what we're building. So by starting with the member at the center of everything and understanding who they are and what they want and what their aspirations are, and I'm sure Hannah will get into all sorts of good stuff on this, Definitely. I agree with everything that Jody said. Um, I would add that uh, human-centered design is a key part of all of the design work that we do at PK, loyalty and otherwise. And um, loyalty is uh, such, as Jody said, kind of the way that it shifted over the last couple of decades and, and how it exists today. There's such a natural marriage between true human-centered loyalty and the human-centered design that we practice at PK. Um, and I will say that uh, I was new to loyalty um, when I came to PK many, many years ago now, um, but it felt like such a natural uh, extension of the work that I had been doing before, um, before kind of joining the team and getting involved in the practice here, because as Jody said, it's it's really about understanding who our customers are, what they want, what makes them tick, um, how they want to interact with the brand and and not even really the brand, right? But like how they want to interact with their life and their friends and all of that. And then how can we as brands kind of support that, um, just that desire to kind of live live life and um, and engage with the world around them. And so once we kind of put that at the center of the work that we do, I think it, it almost makes it easy to design experiences um, that are going to really excite our customers. Hannah is spot on with how it makes it easier. And it doesn't just make it easier from our perspective. And that's primarily because we don't design in a bubble. We don't like meet the client and then go off and design something and come back and unveil it with a big ta-da. There it is. You know, we do a lot of work with our clients, collaborative workshops, participatory design workshops mm -hmm. that... Hannah is a whiz at running, but when you can kind of position it in the way of how she's talking about how they're engaging and, and thinking about it from the member perspective, you're really opening up a whole new lens for a lot of our clients who haven't necessarily thought of it in that way before. We start with, and, and again, I feel like I'm stealing a lot of Hannah's thunder here, but Hannah asks a lot of how might we questions. And the way that you formulate a how might we question is really challenging our clients to think differently about the questions that they've been asking themselves, but they're looking at it from a brand perspective. And instead, she's challenging them to think of it as if you are a member, how might we do something better? How might we deliver something differently? How might we really change how they have a relationship with us, the brand? And that, I think, is the starting step of really transforming their approach to loyalty and how we design and deliver ultimately the best customer and member experience that we can. Staying on this this topic and actually I'm quite interested with the, with the workshop exercises because you know we're all guilty in our own lives and certainly brands are that you get you get caught in your own bubble of, of perspective and thought. How do you shape them out to think about their members perspective? I just wondered if there's something that that that, that gets them to suddenly wake up and realize that and also link to it how many sort of members do they think about? Because I'm sure they feel like they're a very broad church, but actually if you're thinking about trying to make a human experience, you either got to do that for each type of member or accept that actually 
the people who really connect with you at the deepest level are probably a, a quite a specific type? Yeah, I think those are both really fantastic questions. Um, so to tackle the first one first, um, how do we get our clients to think about their customers first to kind of put themselves in the customer's mindset in the customer's shoe. We do have a lot of uh, techniques that we use for doing that. Jody mentioned workshops. Um, we like to uh, uh, engage our clients in the design process. Um, and we, we find that that leads to more successful outcomes. Um, and it's both about understanding their needs from a, a business standpoint but also helping them um, just understand the customer better. And I, I think we find for the most part that our clients do understand their customers pretty well. Um, we'll often um, do additional customer research that we'll bring into workshops. Um, and then as Jody said, it's really about asking the right questions. One thing I personally love to do in workshops is just ask really weird out there questions um, that kind of put people a little bit, kind of make them sit up a little bit straighter and think like, oh, I, it's not really something I've ever thought about before. The question itself is the point, right? It's about putting them in a different mindset. It's about helping them kind of get out of their own day-to-day -day life and, and really understand the customer. And then oftentimes we'll find that if we kind of follow it up with maybe some more boring questions, um, we still get these really, really, really great answers um, that are super customer focused. The other question around kind of uh, customers, I, I mean, Jody would love to hear your thoughts on this as well. But um, one of the things that uh, we sometimes find challenging is that some some of our clients want to um, design for everybody, and and that's really tough. Um, and so one of the other things that we try to do um, early on in, in projects is help them define the audience. Um, and, and that can look different depending on kind of where the client is in this process and how much they already know about their audiences, how much of a defined customer base they have. Um, but it's really about who is the, the main group of people that you want this program to appeal to and be designed for um, so that we can really hone in on that group. Um, not to the exclusion of other people, right? But if you're designing for everybody, you're really designing for nobody. Um, and we want to, to really design the right program for the right audience. A lot of it is is pending, you know, how how and where the the client is in their in their journey and how much data they have. You know, we've worked, um, we've worked with clients who have very robust personas for like a few key customer segments that are their core segments that they need to really mostly be designing for. And I think a lot of times we ask them to kind of take on the mantle of certain personas as they are answering some of their questions or participating in these workshops, et cetera. So that, you know, I'm thinking about Sally who has two kids, she lives in town, um, her husband commutes to work, she works from home, you know, what are their personas? What are the, the different ways that they approach life and the things that they are dealing with in their everyday life so that when you're answering questions, hopefully you're keeping in mind, well, her answer may be different because she has two kids versus one of the other personas, which is someone maybe who's like fresh out of college and they haven't 
gotten to that stage of their life yet. So, you know, trying to make sure that we are incorporating personas and segments as much as they are available to us, I think it really makes the work more impactful. For those clients who haven't gotten there, I think we try to help them get to a certain point where we can come up with at least a few personas that may not be the result of months and months of massive work, but that are clearly part of their demographic set that are core to who their, their foundational customers are so that we're still kind of incorporating a lot of those ideas and those same, those same concepts of being focused in who you're designing for. So that to, to Hannah's point, I think spot on, if, if you're designing for everyone, you're designing for no one. And it doesn't feel, it doesn't have that air of personalized. It doesn't feel bespoke to me. And it no longer feels like the brand knows me and I, I want to know them more. So it, it just feels like, oh, yep, I'm here. I'm a frequent user. Here's my, here's my key fob card because that's the only way you know me. In a world full of data, and um, certainly when we're talking about um, member IDs and member records, and even people that uh, the, the potential customers that brands want to turn into loyalty members, um, would it be a, f- a fair assumption that for the most part, you see a lot of brands with a lot of information? It's just for the, the, the challenge is them trying to actually really focus in the right places at the right time to get the right uh, data sets from it. Um, I just wondered about that because you 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 deal with these all, all the time, and it used to be about understanding people, and now actually it's it's making sense of a mass of information. For sure, I think most retailers have a lot of information about their customers. Um, many brands do. Not all are, depending on the brand and whether they're D to C or they're CPG. But there are a number of brands out there who don't really have the ability at this time to capture customer data. So they're kind of flying blind um, and they're really relying on other parties, um, other industry experts to tell them who their customers are and how they behave, et cetera. For retailers, especially you have all the POS information. If you have a loyalty program, you have that information. You have some information coming in from credit cards and people who've established online accounts. You know, there is a lot of data out there. I think one of the challenges, as you as you mentioned, Julian, is, is making sure that they are using it appropriately. Because one thing that we are definitely hearing from members and consumers in general more and more is that if I'm going to give you all of my data and certain parts of my data, I expect you to use it. So if I am telling you who I am when I am shopping and I still am not getting a personalized experience, it feels like a disconnect. Um, we have a number of clients who are really starting to embrace um, first-party data, zero-party data, and we're trying to capture customer interests. What are their, what are the things that motivate them? And whether it's through polls or through their their personal profile, you know, it's it's progressive profiling. And the more the more you can do that, certainly the more you know about your customer. But then the key is how do you use it? If I'm asking you what your interests are or I'm asking you what, what type of products you like to shop for with my brand, please don't send me then massive communications about things that I have clearly told you I'm not interested in um, because then it feels like I've given you this data and you're not using it responsibly. I think it's also about connecting data across different sources and different channels. So one of the things that we talk a lot about at PK, but in particular with loyalty, 
is service design and what is the total experience of your customer as they interact with the program that might be on my phone through an app, uh, through a website, in the store, in a mall, you know, and we want to have that be a really seamless experience where the customer is known at each point along that journey and they have an experience delivered to them that is personal. And I think that oftentimes one of the challenges we run into is connecting data across sort of disparate channels, um, but also knowing kind of which data to use at, at which points. And so as, as you said, I think certainly have clients still for whom the, the issue is getting data, um, but I think more and more it's really about um, making use of the information that they already have and crafting that into a just really, really great customer experience. With retail in mind again, what are some of the most important things that you try to communicate either in the workshop or after when planning a program for where they need to be appearing and um, what they need to be uh, presenting to their members for, for to be useful, to provide a value exchange, to get them to want to make that next spend with, with, with them? Yeah, so there's some common touch points that I, I think, especially if we, if we narrow in on, on retail, um, there's things that we know are going to be true regardless, honestly, of, of who we're talking to, um, because it is what customers expect today in this day and age um, when they interact with any brands. And so we kind of start with that common core, that common framework. And then we really want to understand the client's unique business needs. And that is, is done through, and then Jody can elaborate here, through those some of those workshops that we mentioned earlier, through one-on-one -on -one conversations with stakeholders. Sometimes we'll do, um, you know, uh, like store research where we go into a store. Um, we'll obviously do kind of our own online research. And so it's basically about understanding the things that make a particular brand unique and then layering that on top of, of these existing frameworks so that we can lean into what makes a brand special um, that's going to make them stand out in a customer's mind and, and how do we really lean into those particular moments as a way of lighting up the whole experience for the customer. I think it goes back to, to how Hannah was asking even the prior question about data is, is connecting the different channels and the different customer touch points with data it, it is really kind of how they expect to engage with you in general as a brand. So when you think about the different touch points, how do you decide where to promote loyalty? How do you, how do you decide where to, um, how do you decide where to promote the value of loyalty and the value exchange that they are getting for the information that they're providing? It really is, and it sounds like a horrendous cliche, but I'm gonna use the word anyways, it is an omni-channel experience. So there shouldn't be, you know, your engagement with, with a member shouldn't just be on email. They should feel it, their entire brand experience should be wrapped in that loyalty strategy so that whether I am on my app, I am on my desktop or laptop at home and I'm going through the web, or if I'm walking into a store, 
I should feel that loyalty is the experience for this brand. But you know, it's really important that that we are continuing to engage with them throughout the process and in all of their touch points, regardless of where they are interacting with us, how they're interacting with us, because loyalty is the lens through which now they see the brand, or it should be. Final bit we're going to come on to, how a connected membership model brings to life brand value between transactions. I think we've, we have touched on it a little bit. I think the challenge that a lot of brands are facing and that we try to especially bring to the forefront, and, and I think this is in particular, say, with, with retail, is whether, you, whether it is a, a frequent purchase, so say a grocery or um, you know, going to the drugstore, you know, those are, those are frequent purchases and some purchases are a little bit more spread out. I may not go to, to buy new clothes every week, but you know, maybe it's monthly, maybe it's every other month. Um, the challenge that I think a lot of retailers have, and some are doing very well is using this omni-channel experience and using customer data to really engage customers in between those shopping visits. Because otherwise, you're not top of mind for me. I think about you when I need my, you know, I, I need new toothpaste, or I think of you when I'm out of milk. Um, but I'm not necessarily thinking about you other than those times where I am able to bring a whole new layer of value to members outside of rewards, outside of experiences when I'm in the store, this is where you have the opportunity to really not only differentiate yourself from other retailers in the market, but you have a chance, and we haven't spoken about this yet, to shift from I have transactional loyalty with you to I have emotional loyalty with you. The more you are making my life easy, you're helping me plan meals in advance, or you're making me think about how you know what, kids are about to head back to school. I need to start thinking about that. And the more that I can provide content or guides or checklists, things like that, that make customers want to come to me, members want to come to me to get that information. I am a trusted source. I am a trusted advisor for that customer, that member. The more that I have that emotional loyalty from them. And that is only one aspect of emotional loyalty, but the ability to provide them that additional information and that that additional value to make their lives easier is huge. I, again, agree with 100% of, of what Jody just said. I, I think to me that there's a, a couple of different pieces to that question. Um, and some of it is around, as Jody said, keeping the brand top of mind between visits. Um, so whether that's uh, having some way of engaging them, um, whether that's through email, through uh, an app or, or a web experience, you know, depending on, on the brand that might look very different. Um, but we've, we've done a lot of work with brands who um, really lean into that non-transactional engagement. Um, and so much of that goes back to really understanding your customer and understanding what it is that they um, are interested in, in doing and in, in engaging with your brand. Um, and, and so that's really about kind of keeping the brand top of mind so that when it is time to go buy a new pair of shoes or 
go back to school shopping or whatever it is, that is the the brands that I think of first. And I say, well, of course, I'm going to go here. Um, and then I think that there's uh, another piece to it as well. And I think this starts is definitely related to the emotional loyalty piece that, that Jody was talking about. It's about even outside of those moments of purchase, it's feeling connected to the brand. And it's about recommending it to your friends saying like, Hey, you need a new pair of whatever, like shop here because of just the, the connection that I have to the brand. It's about um, advocating, evangelizing the brand outside of those kind of purchase moments um, and, and feeling like the company kind of gets you as a, as a person and as a customer um, and, and really deepening that, that bond um, between the customer and the brand. Yeah, it's it's almost it's it's helping me achieve my life goals. It's making me feel better about myself and I've accomplished things. And the more that I feel good about my experience with you and the brand, and I think Hannah, Hannah, you you nailed a couple of good points there about I'm I'm achieving things, I'm getting things done, you're helping me get my life in order, et cetera. Um you know, I think those are those emotional ties that really make me want to say, oh my God, you've got to swing by X, Y, and Z store because I, I went in there and, and I found exactly what I needed and I had great help, et cetera. There were so many components that, that members think about that are outside of the purchase that they don't necessarily consciously think about, but the more that we can, we can um, serve those needs, I think the better. And that even ties back into, you know, surprise and delight. It could be, I go into your store and you have surprised me with something, or I received something from you that I didn't expect when I got my online shipment. It makes me think about you beyond just that purchase, because I'm going to remember that moment when I opened the box and there was something cool in there. And tying it back again to uh, experience design and the experience of interacting with the brand if if i if i as a designer have removed the friction in the interaction that the customer has with the brand um i, I should say removes unnecessary friction um that the customer has with the brand then my my overall experience is going to be better and i'm going to be more likely to come back I'm going to be more likely to recommend to my friends, like, hey, this company like really knows me and gets me and they have what I need. They might have what you, you need. And it's really easy to interact with them. Um, and that's going to keep kind of building that, you know, maybe at first it is more of a transactional loyalty. Um, but over time, right, as you continue to understand the customer better, as you can continue to make every kind of touch point that the customer has with the brand really meaningful and easy, then over time it kind of builds that that longer lasting emotional loyalty. I love I love that, Hannah. I think when when you say that, you know, they they may start as a tra- it, it may start with transactional loyalty with rewards and discounts and and all of that. I think that is that's where you go from being a frequent buyer. I'm going to shop there because you've given me a discount, you know, the more that I shop or you know, you give me the rewards. 
but it's when you start giving me those, you make my life easier, you understand who I am, you're shifting from being a frequent buyer to, as you said, being an advocate. And I think that that should ultimately be what most brands want to do is shift people kind of up that, that value scale and that engagement scale so that you are, it's not just, oh, well, I go here because they give me rewards. It's I go here because they know who I am. They get me. That's actually it. I'll add some suitably good epic music to see you out with. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll see you next time. You've got the confidence of someone who knows that our listeners are going to come back for more. So that's great. (laughs) I like that. She says that she tells it like it is. I think she just nailed it on that. Well, thank you so much, (laughs) Julian, for hosting us and and Cheetah for inviting us to the podcast. It's been a blast chatting with you today. And we look forward to doing this again with you soon. Subscribe to Uncaged Wisdom for the latest and greatest in digital marketing insights and how they're solving problems with software and strategies.